You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Everyone is facing these huge life-changing moments. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. I think it really is important for folks to reach out to people so they can know that they're not alone. We don't know how long all this is going to go on for. And from an emotional standpoint, psychologically, that's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. This is KCBS In-Depth. California is all set for its grand reopening this coming week as it lifts many of the remaining pandemic restrictions. And economists are hopeful for a speedy rebound. But after a year of business upheaval, how much of the economy is still left to be recovered? Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and today on the program, we're going to be checking in on the California economy to get a sense of how quickly we'll be headed back to business as usual. First up... What's got California economy watchers so optimistic? A recent report from the UCLA Anderson forecast has the Golden State on track to outpace the rest of the country in job growth as the recovery takes hold. We're going to dig into their findings and also consider why they believe the state's stringent lockdown rules may have not been as big an economic barrier as once feared. So welcoming on now, Leila Bengali. She's an economist with the UCLA Anderson forecast who co-authors the report for California. Welcome to the program, Leila Bengali. Thank you for having me on. So the economic indicators uh, seem to be pointing in a positive direction for California? Sure. So there are a number of reasons. One is the industry distribution in California. There are a lot of people who work in higher tech sectors, professional and business services sectors. And these are sectors where Other economists have estimated that uh, many jobs can be done just as effectively remotely. So that provided some of what of a cushion. And these are also sectors where we expect there to be a lot more employment growth. Um, So that's one of the reasons why California, we're forecasting, will grow faster than the U.S. overall in terms of uh, employment, for example. Mm. Uh, But of course, uh, there has been that recent curveball with some jobs reports that have come out and have been a little bit weaker than was hoped for. Does that change the assessment that you and your colleagues are making, perhaps showing the the recovery is going to be a little bit slower than hoped for? It's certainly something that we're watching, and the pace of the recovery could certainly be a risk, downside risk to our forecast. We'll have to, we don't have the numbers for California yet. Those numbers tend to come out later than the U.S. numbers overall. And with respect to California, we'll get a better sense of the pace of job growth when um, the state fully reopens in June and we get the June and July job numbers for California. Um, generally, reforming employee-employer matches that process takes time, more time than it does to break those links. So generally, employment rises more slowly during recoveries than it falls during recessions. Speaking with Leila Bengali with the UCLA Anderson forecast. So uh, talking about some of the reopening that you hinted at a second ago, this Tuesday is the big day, the big reopening day where Governor Newsom has said that we are 
returning mostly back to business as usual. Uh, we're seeing the dropping of a lot of restrictions. Not all. you got to look at the fine print. Uh, there still will be uh, some restrictions, especially with large venues, large concert venues, for example. There are some restrictions in that regard. And then uh, local counties may have their go their own way and be more stringent than the uh, broader statewide rules. But uh, generally speaking, we are looking to uh, a return to much of life as we knew it before 2020. How big of a difference is that going to make for uh, business and job growth going forward? Well, we'll we'll have to see. That's kind of the the big open question. How much demand has been constricted by either um, individuals deciding uh, of their own accord to not go out and consume as many goods and services versus uh, uh, individuals not being able to go out and consume as many goods and services because of these restrictions. Um, that the answer to that question has almost as much to do with uh, you know human psychology as it does with uh, economic incentives in terms of how comfortable people are feeling, how wary or not wary they are. So the short answer is we we don't know, but we will start to be able to get a better sense once we get some of the metrics that that we watch um, that monitor the economy once the state reopens. But there is a lot of talk about pent up demand, you know, people wanting to go on vacation, people wanting to go to theme parks and to travel, go to movie theaters. And to the extent that the reopening removes that the barrier that that kept the demand pent up instead of realized that could spur some substantial growth in the state. All right. So some uh, hopeful forecasting right there. Just going to reintroduce you real quick. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Uh, just as more COVID restrictions are about to be lifted, we're checking in on the California economy and where it might be headed next. Joining us for that is Leila Bengali, an economist with the UCLA Anderson Forecast. So you and your colleagues also made another interesting observation and uh, hoping to get your thoughts on it uh, right now, suggesting essentially that California's relatively strict lockdown orders have not slowed down the economy as much as uh, feared, at least not when we compare it to other states that have more relaxed policies. Uh, so uh, kind of interesting there, perhaps the, you know, the, the, the big difference that we've been making between the, the Californias of the world and the Floridas of the world when it comes to actual economic output, uh, not making as big of a difference as we might have expected? Great. So this research uh, was done by my colleague and the forecast director, Jerry Nicholsberg. What he did was to look across large states in the US and found that states with more stringent non-pharmaceutical interventions or state and local government policies aimed at reducing the spread of the virus, that those states had both lower infection rates, which makes sense, that was the goal of the policy, and also at the same time, those states had similar levels of GDP growth or higher levels of GDP growth than states with less stringent non-pharmaceutical interventions. Now, when I say higher, lower GDP growth, I mean uh, a smaller negative number, essentially, because there was a GDP contraction uh, in, in um, you know, during the recession overall. So why could this be? The economy is shrinking, but not as fast. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So there are, we don't identify for sure uh, with 100% certainty that there's a, or what the channel is, but uh, one possibility is that um, states with more stringent non-pharmaceutical interventions 
lead to lower infection rates. These lower infection rates mean that more people are able or feel safe uh, going to work, consuming in-person goods and services, and that could um, help hold up GDP growth. Now that's just one possibility. There are many other possibilities that aren't necessarily that channel, but you know that that's certainly consistent with what we find. Now, I, I imagine uh, many of our listeners might be a little bit surprised by this finding because uh, if you talk to business owners, they will tell you that the uh, restrictions that were placed on their businesses uh, were really difficult to deal with in a lot of cases. And we have seen a lot of restaurants, uh, a lot of nightclubs, a lot of other uh, service industry type businesses go out of business over the last year. Uh, so uh, wh- where's the where where's the disconnect there? Is it is it simply a matter of, you know, countrywide uh, we've been feeling these dislocations and, and perhaps the uh, these policies that any given state are making while seem really important uh, as they're being made, maybe on the margins or not making as big a difference as we might expect? Well, I have a couple thoughts there. I have seen some research that even even when policies are written a certain way, there's there's a level of um, compliance you have to have to take into account. Mm. Maybe compliance is not the right word, but individual consumer behavior. So I've seen some research where the policies and non-pharmaceutical interventions themselves were maybe not not the whole the whole story. The whole story included how individuals decided to or not to go to restaurants, go to bars, sort of be generally as mobile as they were pre-pandemic. And that's that's I think more about how safe and comfortable people were feeling because you can imagine a case where there were, it's a hypothetical example, there were no restrictions and maybe in one area, people felt safe and comfortable, you know, resuming more normal activity in another area where for whatever reason, residents were a little bit more hesitant. So that would be a case where you have theoretically the same type of policies, but a very different outcome because individuals can choose how they behave in response to what they're seeing and what the policies are. What you said there, I mean, reminds me of what people were saying early on in the pandemic, uh, supporters of the heavy lockdown measures, uh, essentially making the case that really the best thing that we could do for the economy is to end the pandemic and and lower the infection rates because uh, people are not going to want to spend money when there is a pandemic raging. Uh, And it it seems to some extent that uh, the data that you're describing right there uh, perhaps supports that. Uh, I, I guess what would be your main takeaway lesson? from uh, the report that uh, your colleagues have put forward? I would say that the main takeaway is, is kind of in that, that headline relationship that we, we do see that states that had more strict non-pharmaceutical interventions had higher GDP growth. And I, I think the key takeaway is, is, is that statement. And then hopefully what, what people do and researchers do is try to in a very careful way, unpack why exactly we're seeing that relationship. So I see this report as putting forth that, yes, we see this pattern. Now we as researchers, academics, economists need to figure out why. And that's something that I'm sure will be studied for years, decades, maybe even generations of researchers and academics to come. 
All right. Well, uh, just a couple of minutes left, but uh, a couple of more topics that I do still want to touch on with you. Uh, once again, speaking with Leila Migali, an economist with the UCLA Anderson Forecast. Um, one of the hurdles that people are talking about that may gum up the work as the economic engine starts revving once again uh, a lot of businesses are facing a shortage of workers. They're not getting the the labor that they need to really meet the supply that's out there. We're, we're reading about this, especially in the case of restaurants, which have not been able to get the wait staff and, and other workers uh, under their roof. What do you think might account for that? Why are businesses struggling so much? And is this something that'll clear up in the months ahead? Well, there are certainly lots of anecdotes of hope one in signs and not being able to find workers. I've heard this too from business owners I know. I think it's helpful to go back to economic theory here and, and what, what is a shortage? What does that mean? Essentially, there's too little supply and or possibly too much demand in this case of labor. So again, sticking with economic theory, what's the solution? The market solution is that prices will adjust to clear the market. So in a very simple supply and demand model, this, is, this predicts that the price of labor or wages would go up. But this model assumes a lot of things like perfect competition, no market frictions. And here in this situation we're in, we do see market frictions. People are worried about health of, of themselves if they go back to work. There are childcare and home education needs. There are unemployment insurance payments, which may be providing a disincentive effect uh, to going back to work. And these frictions that I've mentioned, they're, they're in the short run in terms of health and childcare needs, unemployment insurance payments, those extra benefits will end later this year. Um, so my sense is that these short-term frictions, they'll, they'll ease and they'll, they'll go away. Now the question is, are there underlying structural issues? And are those the reasons why we're seeing a mismatch between the supply and demand for labor? For example, people have changed, maybe people have changed their preferences. Maybe there's a skills mismatch. If those are the underlying reasons, then the resolution between the mismatch of supply and demand for labor will take longer. So the general sense I'm getting from this conversation is that the economy has been shaken up in a, a lot of different ways. And uh, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how it puts itself back together. Just a lot of open questions at the moment. Yes, I agree. A lot of open questions. Alrighty. Well, we have been speaking with Leila Bengali, once again, an economist with the UCLA Anderson Forecast, speaking with her about some rosy predictions, but also, as we just mentioned, some major questions for the California economy going forward. Leila Bengali, thanks so much. Thank you very much. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, with California set to drop many of its COVID restrictions this coming week, we're taking stock of the state's economy and considering just how quickly we can expect it to recover. So far, we've been getting a fairly optimistic view on those questions, but even if the economic gains are coming sooner rather than later, there's still the question of how widely those gains will be shared. So up next, we'll be discussing what it'll take to make this an equitable recovery. For that part of our conversation now, we're going to welcome on Sarah Bone, who is the Vice President of Research and a Senior Fellow with the Public Policy Institute of California. She's been tracking the pandemic's impact on income inequality in the Golden State, and she joins us now. Welcome to the program, Sarah Bone. Thank you, Keith, for having me today. 
So let's start off with how the pandemic has impacted low-income Californians to date. Uh, I know that this is something that your institute has been monitoring, and your findings, as I understand them, uh, reflect what we've been reporting all this past year at KCBS, which is essentially that uh, for many families, this has been uh, a time of real hardship. This recession and pandemic, more than others in our recent history, has really exacerbated the the economic situation for lower income families, um, as well as Latino and Black Californians and and younger workers who were really hampered by the job downturn this go round and remain so. In the latest data that we've looked at, um, we see the unemployment rate for lower income families is still double what it was in, in early 2020, whereas higher income workers have basically recovered in terms of the unemployment rate. You know, this is a pattern of kind of recessions over a long period of time in California where, um, you know, those who are hurt most by the recession um, are kind of the last to, to improve. And what, what accounts for that? I think that uh, recessions, you might think of them as an opportunity to sort of rebuild the economy from the ground up and, and reform it in the way that you'd like to see it. But uh, it seems like what we see instead is just kind of an exacerbation of some of these uh, equality problems that were there already. Indeed, this month, we're expecting a a big economic turnaround, but I think it's important to remember that recoveries take a lot longer than recessions. It's a lot easier to fire than it is to hire. Um, And so that's part of it. We had huge job destruction last year, over two and a half million jobs in like one month. And now we have kind of huge reopening. Hopefully it's going to get even huger, Um, Mm. but it will take time to kind of fill those jobs. Um, to just kind of make that match between employers, jobs, and workers. Um, so that's just kind of one natural factor of kind of labor markets that that kind of plays out in all recessions and recoveries. Um, you know, this the because this recession also really uh, centered on um, service sectors where mm. there's typically more lower wage kind of work um, and different demographic groups are more likely to be in those in those kind of jobs. It, it does. It did exacerbate kind of the, the recession's impact um, for, for those workers. Yeah, because this was a weird recession in the sense that if you were in the right industry or just focused on the right kind of work, you could have missed it entirely. You might not have even noticed that it happened. But if you were one of those frontline workers and you just happened to be uh, uh, unlucky about, um, you know, wrong places closing down, wrong places downsizing, uh, this could be absolutely destructive. And and so it seems like this even more so than past recessions are likely going to be causing some of those uh, income problems, uh, equality problems that you were mentioning a second ago. It, it seems possible, you know, based on kind of where we saw the biggest impact so far this year. On the other hand, I would just say that this recession is also unique. If we think about the previous recessions, like, you know, in the 1990s, when the defense, the defense sector was really sh- uh, almost eliminated or really uh, shrunk considerably in California, and that affected job opportunities. Or when we think about the Great Recession and the decline in construction work that took a very, very long time to recover, you know, this recession is different than those in that respect. We're, of course, experiencing some kind of shocks and potential transitions like maybe there'll be more remote work going in the forward or, and that will cause people to kind of reassess where they want to live within California um, or businesses might kind of change their model a little bit to have a little bit less face-to-face contact because they adapted 
or those who were able to adapt did so this this past year, um, which could change kind of the type of workers or the number of workers that they need. You know, those there are some economic transitions that we're expecting out of this, but um, uh, different than our previous recessions. And, you know, so in some ways, um, you know, job recovery could kind of begin in the exact sector that was hardest hit. Um, so far um, in California, in, in the April data, we see job growth was co almost completely driven by um, leisure and hospitality sector. That was by far the hardest hit sector um, during the, the last year. And so in a sense, you know, that could be good news for recovery um, for the also the workers that were hardest hit. Oh, and, and that raises the issue of we've been talking about the, the worker shortage that many businesses are facing. And obviously that is a major frustration for uh, employers. But from the perspective of employees, uh, could that the fact that there's more competition for labor, could that potentially be a factor that would drive up wages in the months ahead? It's it's potentially I, I would say it's kind of unlikely because typically you know, the employers, especially at low wage levels, have, have more of the kind of bargaining power on that front. Um, I would say we're, we're definitely looking at, you know, our wages picking up. That would be a real sign that there's a labor shortage, um, you know, across certain sectors. Um, it, you know, if employers are having a hard time kind of finding workers, if like just the pool that's available to them is too small, and they start kind of competing by bidding up wages. We don't yet see that. So I think this is more a reflection of the fact that it just takes a long time to rehire, you know, as I was saying, like longer than it takes to fire someone. Um, however, I would say in the leisure and hospitality sector, I, you know, there is a little bit more evidence that wages are kind of climbing a bit. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that could be a good thing for workers because those overall wage levels are pretty low. Um, so it might be that they're kind of needing to increase wages to draw workers back, whether it's because they're kind of competing for those workers that are available, or it's like workers aren't sure they're ready to go back because of health concerns, workplace safety, or other, other kinds of concerns, you know, increasing wages is, is, is a, is a great tool for employers um, that, that can do that um, to, to get the workers that they need. But, you know, we'll know a lot more as the state kind of reopens over the next month and, and we start to see how more workers are faring. All right. I'm going to reintroduce you real quick. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi. Right now on the program with California reopening and the economy expected to continue its upward swing, we're talking about who might get left behind. Talking about that with Sarah Bone. She's a senior fellow with the Public Policy Institute of California. So getting back to the question of inequality, you know, if the general trend, uh, as you've been saying, is for recessions to worsen the problem, what could be done now to make sure that doesn't happen this time? What should we be focusing on? I have to give kind of a hat tip at the outset that the, the policy actions so far have been pretty historic in terms of supporting businesses, supporting workers and families um, and averting, you know, what seemed like an inevitable, really huge increase in poverty, at least for, for many in California. Um, and, uh, you know, although many businesses have closed and struggled, um, business supports have been greater than in previous recessions. So, um, you know, those actions are hopefully reflect some learning from past recessions that um, the kind of ec economic stimulus that can prop up consumer demand and keep our economic activity high um, is important for kind of setting the stage for um, a, a, a recovery and, and hopefully a slightly more equitable one than in the past.
Mm. I would say, you know, those kind of same actions like need to continue because, you know, in my view, it's going to take significantly more time to recover than it did to get us into this situation. Mm. And so even when overall, you know, jobs are growing, unemployment looks like it's shrinking, um, we'll, we will see differences across groups of those who are having a harder time getting back to work, businesses that are having a harder time starting up or restarting. Um, um, and, and those are all kind of smart investments that that will kind of keep um, families and businesses afloat um, while we kind of go through this recovery process. Well, we should also point out, of course, uh, California has a major tax windfall that it's enjoying. And uh, we've been hearing from the governor over the past several weeks about how he'd like to spend that money. Uh, State lawmakers also deliberating about it. Uh, We'll hear more about their final decisions in the coming week. But uh, the sorts of spending priorities that have been coming out of Sacramento that have been taking shape, is that moving in the direction that you'd hope for that uh, would address some of these equity concerns and uh, move the needle? There, the pandemic has just highlighted how um, how many kind of areas of concern there are when we think about, you know, what makes for a good job, um, you know, not just pay, but maybe career potential so that your, you know, entry job can lead you somewhere, you know, health and workplace protections and flexibility, but also kind of what it takes to maintain a good job, which could be access to affordable childcare, access to broadband. Um, I think, you know, this, crisis has just highlighted those issues. And so, you know, those are all very kind of expensive and long-term investments that we need to make. We have, um, you know, a budget, you know, budget to work with this year, but that isn't necessarily what we can count on for years to come. So there are, you know, trade-offs and hard choices um, within that. Um, I would point to kind of those long-term investments and things like affordable high quality childcare that pays off not just for workers being able to kind of work more or choose the job that is maybe a little less flexible than they need, um, you know, but also benefits children in their long-term kind of economic prospects, but also kind of access to education and training so that, you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, entry level jobs aren't necessarily the end of someone's career pathway. And those are things that the state already invests in, but, you know, could, could, really ramp up um, in order to improve kind of uh, opportunity for more workers to kind of get into the jobs that will be a little bit more resilient um, for the the next recession, which unfortunately is inevitable. We don't know when or what it will look like, but um, just, you know, those are, those are um, all things that help us kind of um, spread opportunity within kind of the modern workforce today. Do you think that this is, an opportunity for California to rethink how it approaches the issues of poverty and e- equality? I mean, we've been rethinking so many things over the past year, and in so many ways, it kind of has been a hard reset on our society. Is this an opportunity in any way? I hope that it is, um, because I, I do think, you know, that this is a an, an issue like 40 years or more in the making. Um, you know, the, the, the divide in economic opportunity has been growing in California for a very long time. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a driven by sometimes global economic forces, um, but there's a lot that we can do to um, kind of support more Californians in having kind of equitable access to these things that, uh, you know, childcare education um, that are really tied with, with greater economic mobility. All right. 
Well, we have been speaking so far to uh, Sarah Bone. She is once again the Vice President of Research and a Senior Fellow with the Public Policy Institute of California. Uh, as we said, she's been tracking the pandemic's impact on income inequality. Uh, Sarah Bone, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me today. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS.